0: Hi, and welcome to Life Stories, a Beatrice.com podcast where I talk to memoir writers about their lives and the art of writing memoir. I'm Ron Hogan. My guest today is Marco Roth. His book is The Scientists, A Family Romance, which has just come out in paperback from Picador, and we're delighted to have you on the show today, Marco. It's great to be here. Thanks. Thanks. This is a really great story about, as it says right there in the subtitle, family and memory. And... One of the things that struck me at the beginning in the first chapter is when you're talking about setting out to write this and the line about proving to yourself and to other people that essentially that you could turn memory into memoir.
1: What I was thinking about when I wrote that line was actually a kind of unconscious, that I had this fear that I was in ways beyond my control, and this is something that people who... Are familiar with Freudian analysis or know that I, that that I was, that I was doomed unconsciously to repeat my father's life. And of course, the story, this is a story of uh, my father's uh, death from AIDS when I, uh, when he was 53. And I had been told that he got it by accident in the lab. And I thought that I would be doomed somehow to have this life that was in which my aims would be frustrated by accidents and I had a a theology of accident which isn't this isn't to say that that one should uh, make diseases into narratives because they're not diseases the disease itself is an accident of biology that's it turned out that the story was more complicated and once I discovered that then I thought oh well actually perhaps there were other aspects of my father's life that I, that I was also unconsciously repeating. So I made an effort to really kind of go back, and partly what this is, is this is a story of revision. That's why I didn't really want to write it. People were like, oh, this is such a great, you should write it as a novel. Why don't you write it as a novel? <laughs> I don't know if that's something you were, you were going to ask. And I realized that like, part of the reason to write nonfiction memoir is because as a, as a novel, it would be it would be, a, it would be an unbelievable story. And also because it was a story about competing how life is made up of, of competing narratives and truths, and this is an aspect of our, you know our nonfictional life involves fiction. and I wanted to explore that.
0: You know the question of should you have turned this into a novel or why didn't you turn this into a novel it actually gets at the heart of something that you mentioned in that answer and that plays a very critical role in the book, which is narrative and the whole idea of, as you say, trying to impose a narrative on our lives. And there's a great discussion that you have with a fellow graduate student later in the book. About, you know, the distinction between a narrative theory of life and an episodic theory of life and this, this tendency that we have, I guess, as narrative creatures to try and impose that
1: story on our, on our pasts. It's funny because if you, if you had like interviewed my graduate student self and said in 10 years, you know, 10 years from now, you will be the author of a memoir. I would have been horrified and shocked. And I would have said something like, you know, but memoirs—they're just most of them. Like they have fictional—they—they're really just uh, they're genres of memoir that Americans love. Like they love the this version of the Protestant salvation, Pilgrim's Progress. Story in which you know, that usually comes out now as the addiction memoir, like I was I was a sinner and then I was redeemed, uh, or a version of the captivity narrative, which was a great American memoir genre of the the 18th century or the, in the early 19th century, like I was kidnapped by by Indians and I survived, or I was I was kidnapped by pirates, or I was an, you know all these all these these were these kind of like original nonfiction stories, and of course the slave narrative is extremely important as a, as a witness genre, but of course became you know again this this you you find traces of it in uh, standard american memoirs of like recovery you know they're like i was a slave to heroin actually you know it was not oh, you were a slave to heroin by choice but <laughs> it's a little different uh so i kind of so i had this this sense that you know it, that there was, there was this dialogue that that i wanted to put into the book and and it was a conversation that i did have with friends in graduate school about like to what extent are we a single continuous person or are our lives like structured or you know can we have episodes that we can't really account for and this of course was crucial in some ways into you know like did my father go off and as you know as i found out eventually did he sleep with men as an episode or as a habit or is this part of his character or was this something like the the, the experiment was this you know as, as somebody with an experimental temperament which he was. I was, all, you know, I'm also somebody with an experimental temperament. Did I hold myself back from these experiments because of a fear of what had happened to my father? At this point, and then you can see already it becomes a narrative. So, <laughs> so, there's this, there's this, there's a way to, to, I don't know if it's a resolvable issue, the narrative versus episodic, which is why I wanted to put the debate in the book and I kind of wanted the reader to be able to decide.
0: Already at the beginning, there are those questions of, not just of trying to shape the narrative, but of figuring out what's what's real and what's imagined. You know, there's that scene where you run through three or four different scenarios of how you found out or how your father told you that he was HIV positive. As you describe it, each of those very different scenarios feels like a real memory to you and to us. And then after that, you say, and it's like, yeah, but none of those are how it happened. They're kind of how I restructured it afterwards and this is what really happened.
1: Yes. And there is this there's a way in which in fact what I what I what I also say is that I mean they're it's a compound, they're fragments. And some of the fragments really happened like my father did tell it in a quasi bedtime story narrative, although not in the way that I initially remembered it. And these were my own attempts, you know, when you sit, when you sit down as, you know, advice for memorists out there, category, you you know, you start writing, you're like, oh yeah, I remember it this way. And it comes out in a draft and you're like, oh, that was it. But actually, and then you're like, well, maybe, (laughs) maybe, or you, or you, or you reach a hiccup point in the draft and you're like, that sounds really good, but maybe, but no, I can't remember like what happens next or was the room, like were the curtains really that color? Uh, in in one's attempt to kind of provide a wealth of detail, then you end up you're like oh maybe I'm making this up. So I so I took three versions of of and at different stages of my life in the way that I that I would tell myself the the story of how my father told me. So it's already a meta story of how he was HIV positive. And this is basically uh, one of the things that I that that I feel uh, you know I, I was I became very interested in making this book about. How do we learn the things that we learn from our parents and from the wider world? And how do we come to believe that we know things that we believe we know? And without falling into a complete abyss of skepticism, uh, you know, which is always tempting to go, oh, we don't, you know, we have no, we, we, there's no real knowledge of the world. We can only uh, get it through our you know, faulty brains. I mean, I didn't want to. Say, I don't want to say that. You know, really? I, I, and at the I was, same time, you I was, don't
0: want to go into like the recent defensive memoir or the recent defensive fabrication memoir, which is like, well, but it's emotionally authentic.
1: Yeah, no, I don't. Yeah, I think, I think I think I think memoir should not be grounded in authenticity. I think it has to be. I think it should be grounded in investigation of real life events uh, in a way that, that's honest with the, those events, that, and that doesn't and and it's not because I think novels invite. People are always very sneaky when they read for, you know, with first novels, especially readers tend to feel like they're like, oh, that's, uh, that's autobiographical. Must be. But it's not. It's a novel. And the genre of the novel obliges you to suspend disbelief, whereas the genre of the memoir is, is actually, you, you, you shouldn't have to suspend disbelief as a reader. You should just be taken in by a situation that probably would not function as a novel. And I think, like, you know, they're, they're good novel plots. My father's life was not a good novel plot, you know. He And, and my life wasn't a good novel plot. I mean, they're, they're, part of it was, like, how do you account for 10 years of life that were spent between uh, one conversation that was very important with my mother and another conversation that was very important with my mother and why, like... You know, in a novel, in a novel, you would have to condense those ten years. It's like, oh, now
0: he's bringing in some like famous aunt
1: character out of the woodwork to like deliver this. Print. Right. Oh, my famous. Oh, you want to right. So that's the other. Right. So it's also <laughs> Like, I come from this family of writers, and I have to talk about that. Right. You know, whereas like if I in the novel version, I would be the only writer in my family. Mm-hmm. There would be no precedent. There would be no. You know, there'd be no influence. But I actually, you know, it's it's true. My 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 aunt published a book in which she outed my father with no proof, and that was kind of the the impetus for me to get back into it and and explore it, it builds a case, but it never, it, it doesn't actually, uh, it, it doesn't get there, but it, it leaves it kind of up to a certain conventional public opinion to determine that my father was probably gay and she left it there. And that was very unsettling.
0: Yeah, it's, and it's, as I was reading this, you know, I get through the opening chapters where you talk about learning that your father had contracted AIDS, as you were told growing up, by a loose needle in a medical research lab right right and then your aunt's memoir comes out in which she sort of makes this almost offhand remark you know, but is ultimately freighted with much significance about like oh well i don't know maybe he caught aids in the more usual way right i remember like turning to my wife who's at the other end of the apartment and saying it's like man you won't believe what the the incredibly shitty thing this woman just did in this <laughs> memoir and then of course like you know a couple hours later it's like
1: oh hey <laughs> re- <laughs> remember how i told you about this <laughs> turns out she was re- well that's yeah yeah i, I mean i think <laughs> and it's and it's strange because you know there's my father and my and my aunt had this back and forth argument their whole lives about what you know who is who was uh, really looking for the truth you know, was it my father, or the scientist who was interested in molecular truth, or is it my aunt who was interested in, in narrative truth or societal truth, and felt that she could convey these? And 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 of course, they never reached this point, sadly, uh, together. But you know, a large part of uh, Western science, and uh, and my father was very much a Western scientist, and he he had uh, devised at one point a malaria drug that uh, people thought was too toxic uh, to be taken responsibly but it worked it killed the parasite so you know part of what you do is you break things as a scientist to find out how they work and however you break you know you you break it and my aunt is kind of a breaker in that way as a writer and so without you know so she what she did kind of she had a case that was that was very flimsy but she went ahead and broke it (laughs) and and kind of you know, years later, the pieces kind of the pieces came together, but and probably not in a way that she expected either.
0: When she originally breaks it, I mean, you're this is a couple of years after your father's death. You're in your early twenties, right? Yeah, we talk about the family romance in the subtitle, and part of what's going on in, here is that it's like, I mean, first off, there's the whole HIV positive situation, which. Sits squarely on top of the normal tension between an adolescent and his parents. Right. That you would have had in any event. That that tension, uh, that family romance, is bent way out of shape by the, your family circumstances. And then, your father's early death really never gives you a chance. That I mean, like a lot of us, it's like we go through that adolescent tension with our 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 parents. And then years later, you know, when we're older and more mature, we kind of come to that point of detente or even peace with them. And I'm in the same sort of situation where, like, for, for very different reasons, my father died when I was 18. Oh. And so... So you know. So you know, like, yes. years of unresolved debates going through in your head. Right. <laughs> and when somebody steps in and says, oh, yeah, your father wasn't like that at all, he's like this, you're still sort of clinging to... The mental image of the father
1: that you've been storing up all those years yes and you have a and in some ways it's a it felt almost too easy for me to be like let off to be like oh you're like you just got it you had a mistaken impression of your father and here's some some other authority figure in this case my aunt to come along and tell me what what my impression should have been and i was like no, no the image i kind of wanted i had a you have to work through your own image even if it's even if the father is no longer there and it doesn't you know as long as it takes you know (laughs) it's going to it's going to it's going to take a while and i think i mean and it's and it's because you know that that there is there's always love in families and uh or there's often uh although there was not enough in my in in my uh, father's father you know from 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 his father you know my one thing that i that i that i had to resolve uh, this question of like did my father actually stop uh, loving me as much as I as much as it seemed like he had, or was it that I that he that he somehow was worried that that I would stop loving him because of the, uh, the disease, and there was just we we really there was no time, there was never any time to, to work that out, and so I think partly you know in a way the the. The book can only function as a, as a chronicle of that rather than it's not really like an I'm not going to say it's a resolution. Right. Um, it's just a kind of it's, it's an ultimate letting go, having worked through it.
0: The literary aspects of it in the sense of going back and rereading the stories that were important to your father and were sort of handed down to you as important. You know, there's a recuperative element to that. But like you say, it's not one with any firm re- resolution i mean you can't come out of reading the books that you've read maybe you can feel like you understand your father a little bit better but at the same time you know it doesn't solve the riddle
1: right and i i think you know there's a there's an, an attempt to say oh well you know reading is therapeutic and, <laughs> and you know, like what does that really what does that mean reading is therapeutic and and so when i was going when i i i read, in some cases for the first time, in some cases again, uh, a series of very dark novels uh, and, and novellas, uh, Thomas Mann's Tony o. Kroger, uh, this Russian 19th century novel, Blomov, that's a kind of minor Russian 19th century novel in the canon of great Russian 19th century novels. Uh, and then, um, and there were other books that I didn't, I mean, I didn't write about Proust at all, which is a, a, you know, my father loved Proust. And you're, you even be like, and that was that's because my aunt's part of my aunt's case was like, oh look, you know, any any man who loves Proust must be gay secretly. And I was like, that's that's for, that, that's crazy. <laughs> you can love Proust, and I mean, you know, I don't know. Uh, but the question, like, the question is, did I, you know, I I did in a way find a richer version of my father than the one that he presented to me when I first began to pay attention, as a you know. As a teenager, to to him as a separate person, and then of course when I was a, when I was a child, he he loomed largely just as a figure in my education, which I wanted to to write about. So I there was a sense in which I there were things to be recovered through this kind of reading. Uh, but then you know I also thought, how do I know what my you know I don't really know what my father would have you know believed about you know, what, you know why why did he give me this thomas Mann novella when i was 11 about you know a bisexual boy who uh, grows up to be a frustrated artist you know or a successful artist and a frustrated human being what what message was what was what was he trying to send you know a novel like you know there there, there are all these ambiguous messages and i think you have to uh, be faithful to what the the full ambiguity as it were, and not just pick one and be like, oh yeah, well, of course he was of course this means he was bisexual, you know, which I thought for a while. And like, even if that turned out to be true, that might not be why he gave me the book.
0: <laughs> you talk a little bit about how when your aunt's memoir came out, you know, it's not as melodramatic as, Well, I'm going to show you, I'm going to find my real father. You know, that's overstating the case. Right. But I guess which Came first, I guess, chronologically: the realization, or, or the discoveries about your father's bisexuality, or the decision to set down the memoir. I mean, you know, I guess I'm wondering if you were setting down writing the writing. Oh, this well, project. there's actually, there's actually okay. So yeah. the
1: chronology is: mm-hmm. uh, my aunt published her book in 1997 or 98, I believe. Um, the exact date is in the book. The correct date. Even if I can't remember it now, see this is what happens with memory. Uh, I was, I was at the time, I was, uh, 25, and immediately I thought, oh, I'm going to write a revenge memoir, which is what my father would want me to do. And, you know, and and what I wanted to do. But then I thought, or not even a revenge memoir, just some sort of revenge book, right? Uh, it didn't have to be a memoir. And so this became, like, version 1A of the scientists. Uh, which I didn't call the scientists, and I tried writing it. And this was this is when I began to read the, my father's books again. I reached a point when I couldn't really go on with it because it like it just didn't feel right, and I, I was stuck. And then, and then you know, like various phases of life intervened. I was trying to become a, a professor. I was, you know, I uh, had a marriage, and that didn't work out. And then I started a magazine, and that worked out. <laughs> I don't know why, but it worked out. But but I'd had this feeling that like things in my life don't work out, and this was this was haunting me. And uh, at a certain moment, so this is then uh, about eight years after my aunt published her book, I had this conversation with my mother. And at that point, I began to be able to write the memoir uh, that became this book. I mean, so it wasn't really until you know uh, ten years after my aunt's book that I was able to to finish a memoir.
0: When you describe that original sort of revenge impulse, now the way things have played out, have you had sort of like the, the converse uh, conversation with your aunt? Or, I mean, has she said anything to you about this book at all? And, oh yeah. I, yeah.
1: I, I mean, she's, <laughs> I think she's relieved that in a way, I mean, she was, she was right and I think she also felt, I mean, you know, and and she is, you know, every she has she has a kind of uh, everybody's writing about everybody, so it's okay in our family. As long as you, I mean, I think that there's a sense of, you know, I don't think she has anything to complain about, uh, and she hasn't complained. I was very, I was very fair to her in this book. Um, yeah, I, was, I wasn't, I wasn't too fair, uh, in the sense that I wasn't. I don't think I was too. I wasn't nice, but I wasn't mean. I didn't. I wasn't out to get her i think that was the thing is like you can only really when you stop being out to get people is when you can actually write memoir i mean you don't you have to kind of it's it's really this weird thing where you 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 have to separate yourself from any personal agenda it's this weird is you would think like there's nothing like more personal than the memoir but it actually requires an enormous amount of impersonality i think to do it well,
0: yeah I think like even if you were out to get somebody at some point you know you can write honestly about that but you can't write that scene still wanting to be out to get them for that for it
1: to really work yeah I mean because the reader because it's it's this it's, it's, a, it's a problem of uh, psychology where you know readers will take sides if they feel that against against a character who who seems to be wronged by the author you know unless it's unless it's somebody who really enjoys satire. But again, you see, this is it, one keeps falling into this discussion of, you know, I keep using literary genres because they're literary genres. And they're psychological genres too. I mean, you, know, you you can, you can, I mean, you can you can uh, you can write a memoir and destroy somebody if you uh, if that's what you want to do. Uh, I think it's it can be done. There are people who behave like they should be in satires, and perhaps then like a nonfiction satire is the best thing for them. But. This, I mean, there are no, like, I don't think, I don't think my aunt is a bad person. I don't think, I don't think anybody here was a bad person. I think these were very educated, very emotionally delicate people, uh, including my mother, who were dealing with desires that were, that were hard to manage in the, within, you know, and conflicts in their lives. And I became a kind of, Nexus of these competing desires and competing conflicts, and then I to sort myself out. <laughs> <laughs> Having sorted this out, uh-huh. and now learning that it
0: took like what, ten years or more, or more, right? <laughs> fifteen. Ready for the next
1: one? <laughs> uh, you mean am I ready? For... Yeah, people ask that. You know, I mean, I, 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 think I wanted to be a writer before I knew what what it meant to be a writer. Uh, I mean, I've written other things, uh, not like this. And, you know, it's, it feels like, okay, I have, I have some freedom back in the sense that I don't, I don't have to worry that what I'm working on is what I'm working on because I don't want to think about this stuff. And I think, you know, and there's stuff that there's still like, you know, there's a lot of things that did not go into this book that could turn up elsewhere. Again, you know, this, this book is a, it's very short uh it should be said it's a i mean it's a very tight hundred and ninety six pages i believe um it's because it's a i mean it's a it's a rigorous selection so in that sense like you know i didn't I didn't go on at length about i mean what talk- hap- what happened i mean you you hear that I talk at length, but I didn't go on at length <laughs> <laughs> i mean like things that we've mentioned in the
0: interview, for example like i mean the marriage is largely allighted over n plus one is almost completely alighted over. I mean, they get. Oh, it gets a scene at the end. Yeah. Yes, they get um, references, but it's like, oh, and these things were going on too. Sorts of references,
1: right. Oh, but I was, you know, but stuff like the the things that are more interesting to me are like, mm-hmm. I was part of a of a really uh, great interracial uh, sci- community of kids of scientists in in Woods Hole, Massachusetts, and I didn't really write about that at all. And then I was like, whatever, you know, why am I not? Like why did why did this group of people end up largely back in their in their own uh, racial groups? And there's something about a his, there, there's something in this that's like a, a, a history of the of the Reagan era and uh, an American polarization and fear and. You know, as expressed to these kids. And I think that, you know, that would, that, that I would only write as a novel if I were to write it at all. But I was like, why did, you know, of course I couldn't really take time to have that detour in the book. But I, I think one thing is that, you know, I didn't, for a long time, I didn't want to think about that summer place because you know, I was just like, I was just keeping my distance from my, <laughs> from my, from my childhood because everything seemed to be a lie. And then like having done the book, I'm like, oh, like let me think about this place uh, a little bit. And so I think that, this is one of these ways in which, you know, it's freeing. Well, that sounds like a really interesting project and I hope you'll get a chance to
0: delve into that at some point. Thank you. In the meantime, the memoir, it's short. You can read it in a single weekend. It's The Scientists, a Family Romance by Marco Roth from Picador. We've been talking with Marco here on Life Stories. I'm Ron Hogan. Thank you for listening.